Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All righty. Let's get started. We get settled into our seats. We'll begin with a word of prayer. I'd like to uh, give you a little preface about how we are beginning Acts chapter 2 now. Now, the odds of us coming in our regular verse-by-verse study, chapter-by-chapter, the odds of us coming upon this verse is one in 10 million that we would land on the scriptures about the day of Pentecost on the day of Pentecost celebrated here by the Christian church, which is today. The birth of the church, the official changeover from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Testament meaning covenant or arrangement. You could call it the old deal. And the New Deal, it really is the idea. And so with the New Deal comes the promise of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God. There's quite a lot going on. And we see it unfold before our eyes here in Acts chapter 2. So let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Now, Father God, we look to you this morning. The Holy Spirit now resides in our hearts because of the work Christ has done. You've raised us to new life. God, you've given us power to be all that you have called us to be and to accomplish everything you've called us to do. We thank you for that power and we pray, Father God, that now that power would assist us in our understanding of these truths that can set our hearts free. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Birth announcements, they're happy things indeed, never fail to bring a smile to your face, you get a little card in the mail, you know, some fist bumping going on here, you know, you know, (laughs) a little one has been born, and they're happy to announce that, and here comes the bruiser in a basket, you know, and yes, indeed, you're always going to get that collective, oh, you know. (laughs) Because there's a miracle there. There's joy. There's a basket full of potential. And so what's true about a natural birth, a human birth, is true about the birth of the church indeed as well. There's a miracle involved, birth from above. There's joy of salvation, and there's a hope of good things to come, where God is in phase two now to bring a message that can reconcile whosoever will back to God and give them eternal life. And so today, another kind of birth announcement, the the birth of the church here in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, Pentecost is from the Greek, pente, for 50, 50 days after the Jewish holiday Passover, 50 days later, it is another Jewish holiday called in Hebrew Shavuot, which is uh, it means week or weeks, and it just is calculating the weeks to the first barley harvest there, and so more about that uh, to come. But we call it the day of Pentecost. Uh, And it's uh, the day the the Christian church is officially born, as I've been saying. The the root of Christianity, of course, is Judaism. And when Judaism sprouts into a beautiful tree, uh, that is called the gospel or Christianity. And so the birth of uh, the church 
it's a wonderful thing. And so let's get some uh, context here uh, and read about how phase two got started here. Phase one, of course, the old deal, the Old Testament, was uh, celebrated the handing down of the law, commandments, the Ten Commandments, part of 613 commandments, uh, as God prepared a nation to bring salvation, and through Israel he would incarnate himself through one of those Jewish people, and he would become the God-man to enter the human race to save the world, because he would suffer and die for the sins as a sinless sacrifice there, and he would rise from the dead, and now he offers forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God and life everlasting, and get this, to whosoever will. Just because you want to escape hell and the wrath of God and the judgment that we deserve, just because you have an inkling to want to be in heaven instead of the other place, He says, that's okay. You can't be good enough, but if you trust me, I was good enough for you, and I will put you right with God through Christ, and all I ask from you is to trust and believe. And boy, that's why it's called good news for sure. And so right before he ascends, of course, uh, he gathers his 120 followers together and he passes the baton to them and, and says, I've got a job for you to do, but I'm going to send you power to do it. I want you to evangelize the world and take the message that saves because the message is the vehicle, right? God saves a soul, but the way he does it is through the message. The message itself is called the power of God to save someone. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power, those words that link us to the truth of God that saves us is actually not mere words. It's got supernatural power to unravel us and to save us, to put us right with God. So he said, that message, I'm going to put it in your mouth, Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power from God because you will not be able to live the Christian life without it. So that's where we left off. They're waiting in the upper room. They're they're living their lives. They're tying up some loose strings. Of course, you know, there was 12 of them. Judas defected and went to the place where he belongs. And uh, now time to refill fill that position with somebody else and move forward. So they're taking care of business, they're seeking God, but they're waiting for one thing. Jesus said, wait in that room there 10 days, you shall receive power. And after 10 days, as they're gathered together on a Sunday morning, congregated, always important, this happened. When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together, congregated in one place, upper room, it's Sunday. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, other languages that they did not know. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. The reason for that is because Shavuot, or what we call Pentecost, is one of three mandatory holidays that the law of God required every adult Jewish male and their families, 20 and older, to attend in Jerusalem. Now, wherever you lived in Israel, it's not that far to Jerusalem because Israel's not that big, right? So uh, every Jew who had been scattered through, do you remember uh, 400, 500 years earlier, all of Israel got exiled out and taken all over the Mediterranean and all over the world, really, So that's why the Jews were dispersed, because Nebuchadnezzar came in and took them out, right? And so they established their homes there, but they're still Jews. And every single solemn holiday, they would come from all over the world to be in Jerusalem. And God knew that and wanted that 
because he was going to pour out his spirit so that they could get filled with the spirit and then go back to all over the world. And so there you have it right there. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them now speaking, yeah, I'm sure they speak Hebrew, but they speak their native language from where they're from. And they hear praises to God in their own languages. Verse 7, utterly amazed. They ask, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, that's that whole Iraq-Iran area, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, more northern toward Turkey, Pontus and Asia again toward Turkey, uh, verse 10, Phrygia and Pamphylia, again mainland Turkey, uh, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, which is the northern coast, of course, of Africa, there on the Mediterranean. Visitors from Rome. Oh, yes, we're glad for those early Italians. They were there. Maybe they brought some pasta. Now, both (laughs) Jews and converts to Judaism, in other words, some Gentiles in the mix, Cretans from the Isle of Crete, and Arabs, and we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Well, that's not going to work because it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And as Peter will point that out, that that's the silliest thing anyone's ever heard. So, yeah, this is the situation before us. And really, we're going to take a look at this now. Uh, from three different points of view. And all we really need is verses 1 through 4. There's a lot to talk about with the birth of the church, and so we take a look at that. And we're going to take a look and just walk through really three kind of viewpoints to consider. One is to have a theological understanding of what's going on. There's uh, The Old Covenant is being replaced with the New Covenant, Right. And then there's a religious understanding. Judaism is blossoming into Christianity. So what was up religiously there? And then thirdly, experiential, the practical understanding of just what we see there. And that's really the crux of the message where we'll just walk through and explain and apply uh, what we see physically taking place there in a miraculous incident there on the day of Pentecost. And so a beautiful uh, way to start phase two of God's age of grace, a time when he would appoint amnesty to the entire world, to criminals, the word really to sin, to trespass, to commit a crime, in this case a moral crime against God, uh, to, to pronounce, even though you're guilty, you can come back to me because I made a way Payment's been made on your behalf. So if you'd like to come back free of charge uh, with no condition on your part, just that you trust, uh, then that's um, possible. Now, the Old Testament giving way to the New Testament. The Old Testament in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 promised the Jewish people that the Old Covenant would one day be archaic. And it would give way to a new deal, a new covenant, right? And so, and here's what Ezekiel, how he describes it. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. It's going to be inside, not an outward religion. I will put a new spirit in you. Yeah, his. I'll take out of you your stony, stubborn heart, dead in sin. And I'll give you a tender, responsive heart because I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to be born again in Jesus' terms, right? So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations because you'll want to now. You'll be changed, you see. You're not going to want to do the wrong thing all the time. You're going to want to do the right thing. And so this has happened. This is the fulfillment. There it is. The, the, just what he promised the Jews. Not some, this, the, the New Testament is not some Gentile invention. It's the fulfillment of a Jewish promise to Jews. Jewish people. The first people to come into this new covenant 
are not Christians, Gentiles. They are now believing Jews. And so, yeah, we take a look at this. So that's what's happening theologically. There's a recreation. I, I love the point of uh, God's spirit hovering over in Genesis chapter 1. He's creating out of a dark world that's formless. He's putting shape and life and order and light, right? He's hovering the spirit. He's creating. And then we know what happened. The lights went out. <laughs> Sin entered the world and death took hold and the, and the earth was cursed. And so now in this new creation, here's the spirit moving over dark souls. Formless, purposelessness because we've been disconnected from the author of life. How can you have purpose when you're disconnected from the one who designed you in the first place. And so the Holy Spirit now is seen recreating. And of course Jesus will call uh, his kingdom when he comes and appears. He says it will be the renewal of all things, you see. And so Jesus sits on a throne and he says in Revelation chapter 1, Behold, I make all things new. And so... Uh, it's the renewal. It's the beginning. The Spirit has come now to bring light and truth and order back into the world. Now, this is fascinating here. It's a time to reunite us, to bring the world back together. And this is what we see happening here from all the nations in the world. Here they are, and he's bringing them back. Well, what happened? After the flood, and God kind of reset things so that he could bring salvation to the world, uh, it didn't take long for the world to rebel again, right? And so God commanded them in Genesis chapter 9, uh, after the flood, he says, here's a command, spread out, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. That's Genesis 9, right? So the collected, unified answer from everyone speaking one language only in the beginning, they all said a hearty, no, we're not going to do that. We're not spreading out. We're not going to do that. We want to stay right here. And go ahead and send your flood because we're going to build this tower, a city that kind of spirals up and we're going to coat it with pitch. We're going to waterproof it. So we're not going to obey you. And if you think you're going to send a flood again, oh, we're going to rise above your flood. Send your flood. So, I mean, it looked like this a little bit. You know, famous Renaissance painter did that. And, and so they did their thing. And so God said, look, they all speak one language. Nothing's impossible for them. This is very easy for them to do. But, you know, I'm going to bring their work to a screeching halt. Let us, shout out to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us go down and confuse their languages. And so uh, one guy wakes up and he's speaking uh, Aramaic, or the next guy's uh, speaking Farsi, which is Persian, the language of the Persians. Uh, then one guy's speaking Hindi, and then one guy's speaking Swahili. So the Aramaic group finds each other, you know, and they head west. And the Hindi speakers fracture off and they go east. And the Swahili crowd separates to the south, while those who received a crash course in Turkish, they went off to the north, right? And because they could understand each other and, and because, you know, first of all, lesson to take away, God gets his way. He really does. Now you're going to go off and do your thing like I asked you to do. We can do God's will the hard way or the easy way, right? And so they chose the hard, we often do. Um, and so now these factions were born out of rebellion. So there's no blessing and it. it's a curse to be split off, separated. And right from the dawn of time, the different people groups were at odds with each other. One group, the us, the we, against them, always from the dawn of time. Now look at how beautiful this is. The day of Pentecost is phase two of the program to collect the world back to reverse the curse of Babel by giving now one language essentially where all of these different speakers are hearing praises to God. He's bringing all those who represent every nation on the face of the planet, which is what your text says. He knows they're all going to be there and now... <laughs> 
because of what Christ did, that in Christ, the hostility between us as human beings has been abolished. Take a look at the scripture from Ephesians. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united both Jews and the nations into one people. No more there's Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and other people, male or female, that in Christ our Christian identity takes away the things that bring enmity between us. It goes on to say he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and the nations by creating in himself one new people from the two groups, all the groups. So look at the diversity in this room. While we retain our distinctions, male and female, and Jew and not Jew, and all of this stuff, our Christian identity gives us one heart, one mind, one purpose, one language that we all speak, the language of God's love, the purpose, the job description. We're united in Christ, and that being in Christ swallows up all the hostile enmity, even between men and women, and between the races and all of this. And this is what you see. On the day of Pentecost, the reversal, the bringing us back together. And uh, this is uh, a beautiful thing. And so the barriers are coming down. Hearts are being united, coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so in that crowd, you know, you're, you have the, oh, well, I'm a Mede, or, or I'm a Persian, or I speak this, or I'm a Jew, and you're a Gentile. No, 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 we're Christians. We're Christians. That's who we are. And that's how we're blended together. And he's bringing us all back together. So the second thing I want you to see is the religious aspect. Now, this is incredible. There are two religious uh, uh, things happening on what the Jews are celebrating called Shavuot. All right. So number one, it's the early harvest. And so what they would do on this holiday was uh, it's the first time you could go in and get the wheat. The wheat's just starting uh, to be able to harvest there in the Mediterranean and bring it in. And they'd make little cakes and things and wave it before the Lord, just saying, thank you for this initial harvest with the promise of a lot more to come. Look at what God did. Come on. Spiritually speaking, there's the first harvest. Peter's going to get up and, and preach uh, an altar call and give him an altar call. He's going to preach a message on salvation and then say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And 3,000 people are going to come in and be harvested. They're the first real born again, officially uh, Christians. The first harvest with the promise of 2,000 years of harvest to come. Look at how God picked the day for that. More than that, and the layers just keep going, and this is fascinating. The Jews will tie Shavuot to the giving of the law. So today, they are commemorating a very sad day. To them, it's happy. They see Moses as a good thing, and he is a good thing if you're perfect. If you can keep 613 commands, Moses is your friend. But if you can't and you break them all, you know, then, you know, there's some problems in paradise, as we like to say. And so, yeah, Moses uh, gives the commandment, and Shavuot is tied to commemorating the day on Mount Sinai that the commandments and stones come down in stone and says, Thou shalt not. And if thou shalt, thou shalt die. The New Testament calls the Old Testament a ministry of death. Because it condemns you. It's not your friend. This isn't a happy occasion. I.e., take a look at Exodus 19, the scene of it happening. The mountain's on fire. The people are trembling. Uh, there's blood spattered everywhere. Because they had to be splattered with blood. Right? To be accepted. Uh, there's a voice from, from the mountain that sounds like a war cry. This is not, it's gloom, dark billows of smoke. This is not a happy picture. 
because the law is coming down and saying, you're a sinner. How dare you come near God? You're going to die, all of you. And 3,000 of them who were dancing around the golden calves and getting drunk and carousing while the law's coming down, 3,000 of them die. What happens at Pentecost? On the same day they're commemorating that, God gives the Spirit and God gives grace. And God then at the end of the altar call before this chapter is over, oh, 3,000 don't die. 3,000, the exact number, come to life. 3,000 born again Christians there. So God says, <laughs> praise the Lord, huh? How does he do that? On that very day, instead of law and death, on the day, grace, spirit, and life. This is the meaning behind the day of Pentecost. Now, we've looked at the theological aspect, the religious significance. Now let's take a look at the experience itself here. Three things to consider. There's a sound, there's a sight, and there's some strange speech going on. Let's take a look at the sound. So number one, violence might be a misnomer. It might lead you, uh, because when you hear it's violent, God wants you to know uh, it's, it was powerful. It was forceful. It's not shy. It's everything you need. <laughs> everything you need, and it fills every nook and cranny of that house. That's what he's saying. Ruach in the Hebrew means breath. It's the breath of God, or pneuma in the Greek. Same P-N-E uh, as we say pneumonia. That's where you get the word spirit or breath. Right? So God's breath is coming. And as I alluded to earlier, if you don't know the problem, then you don't know the joy of the day of Pentecost when God's breath is coming down. Because in the garden, we got disconnected. He said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. And the, the ruach in them, the spirit, was withdrawn. God took it away, and spiritually speaking, they died. And their children, and their children after them, were born spiritually, stillborn. Christ died for that which caused the disconnect, and then offered to reconnect. And so now the Spirit comes and goes, the breath of God, for whosoever will turn away from their sins and trust in Christ now can be raised, resuscitated. The day of Pentecost is the breath of God, and this always happens in Christian conversion, resuscitating the dead body, the dead in sin, dead in our trespasses, raised by the breath of God. And if you die after that happens, you have a spirit in you that has, can never die. If you happen to die as good as you are without the breath in you, well, then the Bible says you have to die twice, the physical death and the second death, which is the eternal separation from light and truth and God himself. And so that is what God has worked to avoid by sending his own son to take such a pounding you couldn't recognize him as human, the Bible says, after sin got through with him and the wrath of God fell upon him for us. You see, that's love. And that's some good news, that that doesn't have to happen to anybody. All we have to do is trust in the Lord. And so Jesus told a really good guy, Nicodemus, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with goodness, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. The breath of God needs to come in. And that happens when you turn uh, to him. Now, uh, the sound, like a hurricane, picture a hurricane. Now, it says it was like a mighty wind. It wasn't windy in the house. It was like that. That's what it sounded like. And you know, God has a way of making the invisible visible. How would they know? They've been waiting 10 days praying, where is it? Where's the power? Where's the power? He said he's coming. He says God. How would you ever know when the invisible is there? Like there it is. See, you got the power. How would you know? Well, if you heard like the whir of a tornado, you might suspect uh, power. <laughs> there must be 
some power and God always knows how to let his people know, even though he's invisible, I'm here. Oh, he likes how he'll shake the earth. I mean, he made the earth. It's not hard for him. It just kind of gives it a little elbow, you know, and that little ground just goes like that. And we're like, oh, he's here. And the prison doors fly open. The chains fall off. Oh, this must mean God is here. He has his ways. He'll turn off the sun for three hours on the cross just to let people know, hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm not really happy right now. You see, so he has his way, and so boom, there's this violent thing. And the reason I say violent might not be the right word is because when we hear violent, we're like, oh no, you know, fearful. No, this is a violence to help you. <laughs> this is the whir of the choppers. When you hear it, you've been laying on some mountainside with a broken ankle and a broken leg, and you're starving, and you have no water, and you've given up hope because nobody knows where you are, and you hear the powerful, violent whir of those chopper blades. You're happy for that power because that power is being channeled to come to help you. You see, that's the idea. The violence doesn't come to destroy you. Well, wind can be very benevolent. I've got a picture of benevolent force of wind. And, and you want to talk clean energy? <laughs> He's very clean. <laughs> it's clean energy. It's beautiful. What's wrong with that? Many people are helped by the wind. It's a beautiful thing. But you know, there's another kind of wind that you can see from the satellite uh, picture. There's that kind of wind too. It's as violent as the other kind, not as benevolent, right? Because if you're opposing and in the path of that wind, then you end up there. Now, you either want to have clean energy empowering you to be all that God wants you to be with all of God's richest, fullest, joyful blessings, or you want the hurricane. And anybody who stands opposed to the wind of God is going to lose. How can you fight against God and win? It's just not a good thing to do. Thank you for that picture. And, and it's all about uh, the posture we take. We're either going to be like learning the, the how, uh, how to use the wind to lift us up or let the wind come down and take us apart because we oppose to him. Now, that's the sound that they heard. Then let's go to the site because they saw something, didn't they? Uh, something that appeared to be fire. It wasn't fire. It looked like it. No, interesting, look at your verse. It makes the point of saying that it showed up as one unit and then separated itself over each head there, this flame of fire. No, that's interesting because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. In other words, uh, there's going to be one father who's sharing his life, his spirit, and his gifts with all of us. And whatever any one of us has, it all gets traced back to one spirit, you see. It's not a bunch of different people doing their thing. We're all part of one body. Now, fire is a well-known symbol in the Bible. And for Jews, the Jews are like, got this, he's here. The, the, the sound, power, the fire, the presence, Right? How did God introduce himself to Moses in this self-sustaining eternal flame? He said, I am who I am. The full context of Jehovah or Yahweh, the full context of that is I was who I was always. I am who I am. I will always be who I will always be. That's the fullness of it. And he revealed himself in a flame of fire. And then when he's delivering his people from slavery to the promised land, once again, this burning fire, this pillar of fire that's warming them at night, that's leading them through the darkness, that's being a protective wall against them and Pharaoh's armies. The fire of God was the presence of God. And so these Jews are like, there he, he's here. He's here. Now, what's very interesting here is that the flame reminded them of the, the tongue. It was in the shape of tongues, which makes perfect sense. Sadly, 
Sadly, sadly, sadly, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the spiritual gifts always goes to tongues somehow, right? Instead of the power to evangelize the world, which is the point. The point, he says, wait for the power because uh, you are going to have the ability to do what I want and bring a message to the entire world. That's the whole point of the passage, not speaking in tongues. Somehow that has been hijacked and it's not the meaning. But here's what I find fascinating. (laughs) Of course, the fire of God is in the shape of the tongue because the way, and I said this earlier, the way of salvation comes through the word, the message of the gospel. You know, in fact, Paul says, it pleased God through what the world considers foolishness, preaching, to save those who believe. In other words, it, you think and I think that it's just words. We're telling them about something, how to get saved. Oh no, it's more than that. It's more than just mere instructions of human words. God says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, said Paul, because the gospel itself is power from God to save a soul. So little do you know, and I, I forget all the time, you're throwing out these words. Hey, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That That is not just words. There, it's encoded with the power from God. The power that spoke and made a universe is in those words. Boom, powerful. I just saw this just the other day. The power of the word of God. I'm at sports basement getting my bike fixed. I'm going to go on a cycling trip in the summer. I need it to be right. The kid, you know, Mr. I can fix bikes, and you know what, you know, there he is, and he's very, you know, and and we just start talking, we hit it off. Whenever I hit it off with somebody, I always feel like God's saying, him, him, go after him, (laughs) right? And so, yeah, we're talking, and it's warm, and we're talking, getting along, and then he says, uh, he said something about Sunday, and I said, well, I'm pretty busy on Sunday, because I'm a pastor, and he goes, hmm, you know, it's funny, he goes, I've just been thinking a lot about um, my journey and about how, you know, God and my journey. And I said, well, you, you know about, you know, Jesus on the cross and all of this. And, and he says, he takes out a cross and he goes, look, take a look. And I'm like, well, it's good to have him around your neck, but in your heart's even better. <laughs> so no exaggeration. This is exactly what happened under 10 seconds. I said, yeah, you know the gospel, right? Have you heard the gospel? Is it, you know, we got disconnected in the garden, what happened with Adam and Eve, and he goes, yeah. And then I said, and then Jesus came, he died for that, and so he paid for all of our sins so that we could get reconnected with God, just like that. And it goes like this, goosebumps. Goosebumps. He's showing his friends goosebumps. <laughs> Why? Is it because something I said? Yeah. <laughs> Yes and no. (laughs) I said it, but the power of God came through and went straight into the kid's heart. And he goes, praise God. He goes, I knew that. I've heard that. That's the first time that I've ever. And then he says, "Uh, can I have your phone number? I'm like, they don't ask. They never ask for your phone number. (laughs) Why would you ask a preacher for his phone number, unless you were serious, you know? And so he asked for it, and I'm like, just tell me your number right now. I'll call you. You got me captured and done. I've already texted him. It's all, it's happening. But what, what? It's, listen, the fire is on the tongue because the message is more powerful than you know because it's the power. Throw it out. I've got so many stories like this. I'm going to tell you one more. <laughs> Remember I told you about Sergio? He worked for Coke, I worked for Pepsi, and and we always ended up in the same stores at the same time. And he used to kind of tease me about being Pepsi, you know, and I'd tease him back about Coke, you know, and uh, all dumb little things. We didn't really hit it off, you know. We were just like kind of like whatever toward each other. And and one day comes up to me, apparently I shared the gospel. I don't recall ever saying anything to him. If I did, it was very, very minimal. 
And he comes up to me and he says, you know, I just got choking back tears. This big dude. I just got to thank you for what you said. Changed my life. And I'm like, well, what did I say? <laughs> and he goes, you know what you said. And he goes, I'm back with my wife. I, I'm stopped, I've stopped drinking. I'm going to this church. They sing way too many songs. <laughs> but I like it. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading a Bible. He, he goes, and I just, it's just all about what you said. What did I say? And he goes, stop saying that. You know what you said, right? No, I don't know what I said, because if I knew what I said, I could write a book about it. Because, <laughs> oh, come on, you know what I said? I probably said something like, well, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boom, power, fire from heaven, a sword sharper than a two-edged sword goes straight in, goosebumps, goosebumps, <laughs> right? So just start throwing it out, people. It's not just words. Throw it out. Scatter it. <clears throat> Learn a couple of them. For God so loved the world. That's a good one. Amen? And so it doesn't surprise me that the tongue is on fire because it's with the tongue employed by us and the Holy Spirit working together that will change a person's destiny from eternal loss to everlasting life. So, yeah. Now, uh, now I do want to say, you really need to fight fire with fire because the tongue is already set on fire, but not from above, from somewhere else. <laughs> Let me show you here. The tongue is a small part of the body, James says, chapter 3, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, different kind, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole life, sets the course of a person's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> All kinds of animals can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So without the fire above, right, the tongue already is on fire from below. Now, the way to stop a fire sometimes is to, when it's raging this way and it's a bad fire, you start the good fire. And the good fire puts out the, the bad fire. You see, you need the good fire. You need to go from blaspheming to blessing, from dropping all kinds of profane bonds. I mentioned cussing in the last sermon. A few people came up to me and said, I've got a real problem with that. And I said, how is that possible if the Holy Spirit lives in you that you are coughing up vile and vulgar language from the abundance of your heart, the lips speak. I know we're all corrupt and sinful beings, but if the fire has come in, shouldn't you stop to think that maybe the lips to proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord should not be dropping bombs like holy this or holy that. Are you kidding me? Oh my word. Let the coals of his fire touch our lips and do not try to try harder with the tongue. You can't tame it. You can fill, be filled with a different kind of fire and then that fire can put the other one out. Amen? And so that's up with the fire. So let's finish up with the, um, uh, uh, the clarity here of the strange speech. Now what's <laughs> wonderful is he's empowering their tongues and the reaction is, wait a second, aren't these guys the hillbillies from Galilee? You know why? The Galileans were hillbillies and they had a twang the way they talked. They weren't good speakers. They were considered uneducated hillbillies. Do you remember at Peter's warming of the fire, warming of his hands by the fire? Uh, he's saying, no, I'm not, I don't know him. And somebody says, uh, excuse me, you talk just like a Galilean. Right? So the scriptures are saying, 
even the tongue-tied hillbilly, uneducated voice of a Galilean, who you can't even understand in his own language, now is being perfectly clear in a language that he's never known. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because he's being prompted by the Holy Spirit within in a miraculous way. And he says, listen, when you try to win a soul and you throw something out there, a Bible verse like that, God will make you so eloquent. It will go into their ears and down into their hearts because it's being guided by the eloquence of the Holy Spirit. That's sort of a promise there. And so, yeah, they're filled with the Spirit. And notice that everyone there is filled with the Spirit. Now, it seems to me that since they're already born again, that this is a, is a incident that um, can be repeated. Um, not in the sense that God gives his spirit all over again and the new covenant starts and stops and starts and starts, but the, the empowerment for service, the ebbs and flows of our Christian's life. Otherwise, why would Paul say to Christians, be filled with the Holy Spirit who are already filled? So if you know the Lord and his spirits come in, in one sense you're filled with the spirit, you have the spirit. If you don't have the spirit, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, then you don't belong to Christ. So if you're a Christian, you've got the spirit. Now there seems to be a distinction between just having the spirit and being a saved person and then to overflowing, to be zealous and walking with the Lord and just kind of oh, really cutting through the waves and being blah, blah, blah productive. We know, you know what I'm talking about, the light in the eyes. The, the conversation is about the Lord. You're not always like this, but you know, you talk about spiritual things. You're, you're interested in your Bible and obedience. You're, you're obeying. You're walking with the Lord. You're seeing answered prayer because you're filled. You're just filled. So when we say, God, fill us with the Spirit, we're not saying, God, we want an increase of Spirit so much as we want the Spirit to have more control over us. Right? We're giving Him more reign over our lives. I've got a picture of a sailboat that's really working it with the wind, you know. It's, it's exciting to be on that boat. You're busy you're doing all kinds of things and, and you're excited and, and progress is being made. You're going forward and it's a thrill, you know? It's a joyful thing to be out on the bay like that when the wind is right. And then you got these guys. <laughs> what are we going to have for dinner tonight? <laughs> Boring. No progress. Afloat, saved. They're not drowning. They're not going to drown either. They're just not full of overflowing. They're not boiling up. They're not, you know, having prayers answered. They're not walking tight with the Lord. You see? Now, oh, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, what did they do? Nothing. <laughs> they were in obedience. He said, wait. They were praying. But you don't earn it. You just ask. Jesus said, uh, you know, if you know how to be a good father, don't you think God knows how? And won't he give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks him? Asking a desire that says, hey, I'm bored. This is frustrating, you know? I'm walking with you one minute, I'm on and I don't that, you know, this back and forth thing, the tug of war thing. I'm a, hey, I just want to just like be filled ask. Now, we had to come to a decision as a church about a year ago what to do. We're either going to obey man when it comes to how to operate God's church, or we're going to obey God. So all we did was wait on the Lord and do what we thought was right to do, and serve him, and open, be open, right? A rushing mighty wind came upon this church. Now we have, let me go through a list. We have three services instead of two because we've almost doubled in size. 
The giving is up. People are being generous. We have more missionary projects. Uh, we have young adults who are meeting, 60, 70 of them here. They're doing good deeds, outreaches. We have an evangelism team that meets here on Saturday that goes out spreading the gospel. We have young marrieds that are doing really well with their marriages. Marriages reports back being strengthened, back from the brink of total chaos. Serving is up. The fellowship groups. Everywhere you go in this church, there's full sales. And that's because we're just waiting on God, open to doing His will, not perfect, but blameless, trying to be the best we can be for Him, to obey Him. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir when I'm saying, this is what being filled with the Spirit looks like because I'm looking at a congregation that is in my whole career as a pastor, I've never seen such fullness and joy and giftings and this beautiful practical loving of one another. Uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Are there? I'm sure there are pockets of problems, right? I'm not aware of them. Um, and, and please don't let me know about them. You know, <laughs> I'm in my own little happy place right now. <laughs> And happy places don't last very long. So, you know, but I mean, the men's breakfast, it's just unbelievable. Everywhere you go, there's a hunger for the Bible. There's, there's a hunger to be used by him. This is what we're talking about, to open up and, and let the Lord just be, go full stream. His presence was in the whole house, you see. And why does he say his presence was in the whole house? Because that's what he wants. He wants the whole life. He doesn't want the top drawer, the Sunday drawer. <laughs> Here, God, this is where you go with my Bible and you in there. <laughs> you know, no, he will find a way out of that dresser <laughs> drawer. Because, and, and why? To bring, uh, to harm you? To judge you? No, to give you a hope and a future. So let's yield to the Spirit and constantly put us in the, put ourselves in the position where we can be filled. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love and the Holy Spirit that makes us alive. Thank you for not qualifying us, God. We couldn't do it. If, if you said we had to do steps one through three, forget it. It's not going to happen. But if you just say, just ask me, that's a possibility, God. So we ask once again that that which you've started filling our sails, God, to this fullness of life that we're overflowing. Continue to do so. Keep us walking in obedience and not grieving your spirit or quenching your spirit, but to be open and yielded. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.